Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope you're doing well. If we haven't met, my name is Hunter Melton, and uh, I get the pleasure of working with groups and young adults and college students here. Um, I want to thank Aaron for letting me uh, communicate today. And uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to go ahead and open up to Luke uh, chapter 19. Uh, I want to take you on a, a way back portal. Some of you, Av, or uh, not Av South, but some of you Nashville natives uh, would really appreciate this. Uh, on a cold December 26th of 1990, yours truly was born at Centennial Hospital which means that I'm automatically ancient to some of you, and I'm automatically like a kid to others, so I'm willing to risk that. Uh, and, and I want to give you a snapshot of what was happening in 1990 here in Nashville. Uh, in 1990, there were 510,000 people who lived in Nashville. That's 200,000 less than right now. Uh, St. Thomas Midtown was called, help me out, Nashville natives, <laughs> Baptist Hospital. I refuse to call it St. Thomas Midtown, Baptist Hospital. Uh, the Athena statue in the Parthenon took eight years to build, and it was just in 1990, April 1990, was unveiled for the first time. Bridgestone Arena, where we go to see the Predators play and all that stuff, was not built until 1996. Um, and, and I want to throw up a picture, uh, if we could put that up, uh, if you can see it. That's what the skyline looked like in 1990. There's potentially some of you who work in buildings that don't even exist, you know, in this photo. Uh, I don't even think that the uh, Batman building was built at this point. So 1990, what a year to be alive, right? Uh, when I was growing up, everybody would say, Nashville's so great because it's 15 minutes to everywhere. Uh, now it's 15 minutes to nowhere. You're, that's not a calculable number. Um, and, uh, and, and I remember everything being a lot more like just kind of, uh, at least we're not Atlanta-ish, you know, <laughs> when I was growing up. Now everybody's like, we're turning into Atlanta. Uh, and and here's, the, here's the cool thing, right? And, and I'm a Nashville native that's not grumpy, right? You'll meet some grumpy Nashville natives who are like, get out of my, you know, my lawn or whatever. Um, in the past 10 years, the city of Nashville has grown by 20%. We have uh, been nicknamed the It City, uh, or even some people have said there's a, a West Coast, there's an East Coast, and then there's Nashville. We're like a third coast. I think that's, that's a little much. Uh, but... Uh, people move here for so many different reasons, right? Think about why you might have moved here or why you've stayed here. There's the promise of something bigger. You know, the whole joke is that 10,000 musicians move in and every year and 10,000 move out, right? But here's, here's the thought, right? If we can make it to Nashville, then we can make it anywhere. That's uh, not only music, that's healthcare, that's tech, uh, that's um, anything, education, Athens of the South. And, uh, and so that might be your story. But my contention for us today, or my, my kind of proposition for us today, is that if you are here as a Christ follower, your primary goal is not to consume from the city. Right? Most people move to cities for primarily selfish reasons. There's different things that are available to them. But my thought, and I think we're going to see this from Luke 19 today, that if you are a Christ follower here, you are not so much to glean from the city, but that you are to give to this place. Knowing that providentially, sovereignly, you were placed here for such a time as this. So we're placed here to have our hearts broken for the spiritual lostness around us and the brokenness that sin so inevitably brings. So, 
as we continue with this sermon, I'm going to ask the same question over and over again. I think it's good to have our hearts reminded. What is breaking your heart here in Nashville, and what are you doing about it? If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite for you to, uh, to stand with me in the honor of the reading. And if you don't have it, it will be on the screen. Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. As he, Jesus, approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you. They'll surround you. They'll hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Okay, let's pray and ask God into this moment. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us this moment that you've given us this text to encounter a living and a sovereign God. And so today, Jesus, we hear, but we hear imperfectly. We see, but we see dimly. And we know, but we don't know totally. But you do. And so your thoughts are not our thoughts, and your ways are not our ways. But Lord, we submit to you. Because you're infinite, and we're not. And so, Jesus, I pray today that your name would be high and lifted up and that we would be made really small. We love you, Jesus. Speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. Y'all may be seated. All right, so keep your uh, copy of, your God, of God's Word open if you have it. Uh, we're going to go just verse by verse today. So uh, verse 41, I'm going to invite you to, the first point is to see the need so Jerusalem, uh, in context of this passage here, Jesus has just come into the triumphal entry. You remember the palm branches and uh, all those things? Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Uh, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem as this triumphant warrior because people thought that Jesus was going to come and to overthrow the Roman Empire. He thought, they thought Jesus was about to come and to make a spectacle of all the wrong things. They thought Jesus was going to come from the inside outward. Instead, we have in this, these few verses, Jesus actually looking and pointing the fingers back at Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was a city that Jesus was incredibly familiar with. He had come there in Luke. We see four different times that Jesus had, uh, had been there. But we know that any observant Jew would come to Jerusalem multiple times a year for different festivals. So Jesus had been there potentially hundreds of times. And so Passover is the reason that Jesus is coming now. So he comes into the city, and he comes in probably the same path that he always did. He, people were laying palm branches down, but he had a different mission. And he was seeing the city of Jerusalem differently this time. Because this time he knew he was coming to complete his mission here on earth. This time he knew that he had wrung himself out for three years for a people in Jerusalem who had ultimately rejected him. And it was this time that Jesus knew that their hearts were hardened. So he starts to see with this great urgency and he weeps. And, and it's different than uh, John 18, 35. Jesus wept. We all know that, right? The easiest Bible verse to memorize. When he weeps over uh, Lazarus, his friend. 
Jesus then wept with his body. But it's a different Greek word here. Here it's a klausen, meaning he wept with his soul. You see, the heart of the Lord is love for his people. God never has to be provoked to love. He always has to be provoked to anger, but he never has to be provoked to love. That's just who he is. And so when he sees the city and he knows that they've rejected him, he weeps. The irony here, of course, is that Jerusalem was the original buckle of the Bible belt. Jerusalem had the temple built to honor God. Solomon built it there. They believed that God's presence resided in the temple. Jerusalem was the epicenter of what it meant to worship Jesus. So this city, right, that God, God's heart longed for had rejected his son. If you follow his ministry over and over again, the Pharisees pushed back, the Sadducees pushed back, everybody pushed back against Jesus. Ironically, it was the outsiders. It was those who did not fit in that accepted Jesus and ran towards him. And maybe that says something about our faith today. But he had come to give life to the city, and they had spurned him. He had come to give peace, and they rejected him. He knew that the city of peace, Jerusalem, so it translates to, that only he could provide the peace that they were searching for. And today, if we're to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes, Nashville is kind of similar. right? The joke used to be that not only was this the buckle of the Bible belt, this was like the latch of the buckle of the Bible belt. But consider these statistics. The number of unchurched in Middle Tennessee is 1.8 million people. The number unaffiliated with any religion or who are lost in Middle Tennessee is 750,000. The number of churches in decline in Middle Tennessee is 80,000. And the estimated number of new church starts needed to keep up with the decline of churches coupled with the growth of the population is 100 plus in the next year. Now, my question for you is you probably know someone in that number. You might know multiple people in that number. It's numbers like these that birth within the heart of our pastor and our church the need for another church in the middle of the city for the city and for its good. You see, seeing the need in our city means that you primarily dwell here not for what it can give you, but for what you can do for it, or better said, for who you can be in the midst of it. So do you see your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, your family member, like Jesus sees Jerusalem? Do you see the need here in Nashville like Jesus sees Jerusalem? And this is not to lay a heavy burden upon us. This is to articulate what our response should be when we have a hope and we have a peace and we have a purpose that's rooted in Jesus Christ that other people do not have. Meaning this, that our primary response to brokenness in our city is not anger, but compassion. Our primary response is not hand-wringing at all the bad things that might be happening when our hands are too busy working for Jesus. But it's not just an outward piece, right? Because we cannot give what we do not have. So it's not just an outward piece of the city, but it's an inward piece as well. And so my question here is this, is do you yourself 
have the peace of Jesus in your heart. Because there are people who will come here today and who are in two different camps. One is very far from the things of God and you came to a church maybe because you had nowhere else to go or you didn't know where else to go. And there might be some people here who have been very close geographically to a church building but might be far from God. Let's look at verses 42 through 44 again. Kind of a hard passage to read. Jesus said, if you knew this day what would bring peace by the way, I love how Jesus stops there. If, you, if you're reading the Bible with emotion, Jesus can't even finish the sentence. That's what's happening here in the CSB. They render it, if you knew this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. It's a hard passage to read. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying in his lament, he's thinking about what could have been. If you knew this day, it could have been so much different, Jerusalem, what would bring peace. It's almost as if Jesus can't finish his sentence here. Jerusalem, we've already mentioned, translates the city of peace because they thought they had the shalom of God in their midst. And the irony here is that they did and they rejected him. Why? Why did that happen? They missed him, not because they were religiously rebellious, but because they were religiously satisfied to put their trust in what? Their own achievements. If I can just sacrifice enough, if I can just go to the temple, if I can just, I don't know, have enough sheep, have enough lambs, offer sacrifice to him, give peace, give, give, give those things to the Lord, then I will be okay. Friends, it can be the same with us today. Right, so you might have been here. You might be here today, and I want to put forth like a, a like a, a warning signal to you. Um, my car, uh, the gas light just came on um, in my car. Some people just like they get halfway through and they're like, "I got to fill this bad boy up." I'm like, "Let's run into E and see what happens." Right, <laughs> living on a prayer. I want to throw a warning light up here. You might have been here to, you might be here today and you've attended church for quite some time. As the old, old folks would say, you were in church nine months before you were born. And you might know all the right things to say. Glory, hallelujah, brother. Thank you, amen. And you might even know the wrong things to avoid. But friends, only coming to Jesus, the person, not his bride, but the person. Not a church or religion brings us the shalom peace that our hearts are looking for. So does Nashville need peace? Of course. But Nashville is first and foremost made up of people of which we are one. Each one of the 733,724 people who live in Davidson County need peace. And you might say, well, Hunter, I live in Williamson County. Well, it stinks for you. No peace for you. Only Davidson County. <laughs> you know, uh, I just read... Uh, a tough passage that Jesus, he's actually prophesying. And in the Old Testament, all the prophecies were, were uh, about things that were going wrong. And uh, what made Jesus so popular when he rode in on a donkey was that people thought he was going to prophesy about Rome being destroyed. And here he's turning the thing on Jerusalem. And what does he say? He makes a prophecy about a coming judgment that is to come, and Luke is here, what is he doing here? He's clearly linking the destruction that is to come with Israel's 
rebellion. Um, in 2019, my wife and I went to uh, Rome and we walked along the forum and we had a translator who was like, or a guide who was telling us about different things. And she pointed up at an ark and she said, this is the Ark of Titus. And we could throw a picture up of it right there. You can kind of see it. I took it with my iPhone. This is the most expensive sermon illustration I've ever uh, done. $6,000 about to get this. So we're going to milk it for all it's worth. And uh, so, so she, she said, this is the Ark of Titus. And I said, oh, man, there's probably like 15 of us in the group. And I said, oh, that's cool. What, what does that mean? And she said, well, this is this was built about AD 80 to commemorate Titus coming in and destroying Jerusalem. Uh, in AD 70. And in the, you can't see it in this photo, but in the, in the arcway, there is a photo, or there's a, a, a carving of Titus on a chariot with horses bringing back loot from the temple of Solomon that Solomon built. And, I, you know, everybody else is just like, okay, whatever, you know, like, get me to the Colosseum. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is huge. This is prophecy that is being seen. Meaning what Jesus prophesied about, there is still a monument to. Now Jesus is saying here, what happened in AD 70 is that Jerusalem was surrounded by all si- on all sides by Titus. They'd had enough of Jerusalem's rebellion, they wanted to put it down. And so what Jesus is saying here, look, he's saying they will build a barricade around you, they will surround you. That is literally a military tactic that Rome did in AD 70, about 40 years after Jesus said this. Now, the point of us today is not to say that if you sin, your life is going to be destroyed. Jesus took the penalty for our sins on the cross. He took the destruction that we deserved on himself. So there's a word of relief there, but there's not a word of escape there. There's not a word of escape of accountability. Why? Because we know this, that living outside of the peace of Christ does have consequences. Like, it just does. We experience this every day, and we experience, experience the brokenness of the world every day. Sin will always overpromise, friends, and it will always underdeliver on your soul. And you might be in a sin right now or in a pattern of life right now that feels good. And the Bible would say, yeah, that's true, because all sin is good for a time. It feels good for a time. But just like Jerusalem had delayed consequences for their sins. There are times where we don't put our peace in Jesus. We might not experience it right now. I had a college student back at my previous church who looked at me and said, hey man, I've been like sinning a lot and I've still never gotten struck by a lightning bolt. What gives? And I said, man, that's really fair. That's a fair question, right? Like we're taught like sin is really bad. God hates it. Why does nothing change in my life? And I would say this, that consequences for sin do not always look like lightning bolts or being struck down. Consequences from sin actually can start from within. And when we don't anchor our lives on the cross, what ends up happening is is we list, and listing never feels bad in the moment, but it can be in years and patterns of our lives. And in a real way, this will destroy your soul as you search for peace in all the ways that the world says it provides. Think about it right now. What if you got everything that your heart wanted right now? You had it all. What do you think your response would be? More. More. If you got the relationship, if you got the job, if you got the salary, more. John uh, Calvin says that our hearts are idle factories and all they want and all they know is the word more. 
So a peace that roots us, though, is not found in what we get, but in who we have. Peace can only be found in a person, Jesus Christ. How do we know this? Romans 3, 23 through 24 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely. Freely. Not anything that you bring, but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So friends, only Jesus Christ satisfies. And the irony is, is that we can be doing the things of Jesus really well apart from Jesus. And for a time, it feels like we're doing it right. But eventually what that leads is to what the Israelites did, what the people in Jerusalem did, embracing what they could do while rejecting the one that they were doing it for. So maybe the diagnostic question for you is, how much time, how much of yourself do you have and are you giving to Jesus? This idea of loving union with the Father, meaning are you inviting him into every part of your lives? I have to ask myself that all the time. I have a compartment opened up called uh, my son, Judah, and a new compartment's opening up called our daughter. We don't have a name for her yet. If you have one, we're open to suggestions. So <laughs> sorry, babe. I prob- She's not open to suggestions. I am. But <laughs> And this compartment pulls at my life. And we all know that. How many roles we play, how many titles we hold. And that's real. And that fracturing of our lives pulls us away from the loving union of the Father that is meant to ground us for those titles and ground us for those things. And so my question for you is this, what are you holding back from Jesus that is fully allowing him to be in your life? And maybe here, who here has been playing the game of religion And has yet to say, Jesus, I surrender everything to you because I need peace. I need you. And then, friends, if that is you, if you have done that, praise Jesus, you were sent as an ambassador. Meaning this, the city of Nashville needs that peace. And they might not even know that they're praying it. And they might not even know that they need it. But we have that And our job is just to say, friends, this is a free gift. I'm no better than you because I have been found. I did not find anything. And all you have to do is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you can have peace in the midst of grief. You can have a love that in the face of hate. You can have a true intimacy with the creator. And at night when you wonder what on earth am I created for, you can know what that answer is. But it is not up to us. It is not our prerogative as Christ's followers, to hold that back from people who might not even know they need it. We are to go to them. Why? Because Jesus weeps. Jesus, Eklausen, weeps with his soul. We are God's ambassadors. Lord literally making his appeal through who? Us. You want to know if what you're doing matters? You literally are the mouthpiece of God. No matter what you do professionally, no matter where you are relationally, 
your greatest title is ambassador for the Lord. So as we land the plane, never trust a pastor who says that. They'll probably go in 15 more minutes, but I'm not going 15 more minutes. Today, we can choose to see things differently, can't we? Like you don't have to walk out of here and then just go right back to the grind and right back to the hustle of like stress in life. We can choose to see things differently. Nashville, Middle Tennessee, your friends and family that you know alongside of you, they are depending on us having our hearts broken for this city and then doing something about it. Like that's just, the city does not need for you to be a cog in the wheel on trying to like just do, do, do and get, get, get. That's what everybody else does. We need to be different with an outside perspective on how to bless this city. So they might not even know that they need a savior, but we know they need it because we have, we have been found. We have found it. So before we do this, we're going to take 120 seconds now to just sit for a second and just pray because really what this is is a dialogue. This is not a monologue. This is not a passive spectator, but an active participant kind of situation. Where do you need to repent? Do you know the only thing that can block the prayers of, from God hearing our prayers is unconfessed sin? This is the time to confess unto the Lord and to pray unto him uh, now. And so would you just take uh, 120 seconds and then we're going to come back up and uh, we are going to worship Jesus. And then our pastor, Aaron, is going to come up and give a little bit more contextualized of how God is breaking our heart and, uh, and what we are doing about it. So let's pray now.